us be bold and courageous and let us leave here and start to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And so let's take a look at what happens when we build for the Lord. Now, I truly believe that whenever we build, whenever we create, whenever we make, we start to, to see God's, um, we start to, to feel God's inspiration because that's when we are a lot like God. God has given us the gift to create and to build and to make. And when we do that, we start to really be inspired by God's will. When they get to halfway, whenever we build for the Lord, whenever we, we start to say, you know what, we're going to take our family and we're going to honor God through our family. And that's how we're going to build our family. When we build our business and we say, you know what, we're going to build this business and we're going to use it to glorify God. When we, in our careers, and we say, you know what, we will stand up for God no matter what the culture of this company is, we are going to take a stand for God. Otherwise, other people make ministries. You know, they build ministries because there are certain things that are, they are passionate about and they want to serve children or they want to serve uh, the poor and they go out and they build ministries. Uh, that's great. And it starts with amazing vision and it starts with God's spirit and then you start to build it and then opposition comes. Criticism comes. Weariness comes. And that's just part of the package. Anyone here, when you've been building something, feel that you've been criticized? Okay. Anyone here feel weary once they've built something? Okay. Anyone experience uh, negativity from other people? Okay. So I'm talking to the right people here. It's good that I arrived at the right church at the right time. All right, and that's why I also find it interesting that, you know, while we talk about Nehemiah and building, this is going on, you know? And I think, you know, it's, a, it's quite metaphorical that you're looking at Nehemiah and you're redoing things. And when you are redoing things, you will experience criticism. All right, so there's some of you who are going, oh my goodness, what are these people doing? Well, you know, be constructive. Be constructive in your criticism, that's all I can say. So... In the story of Nehemiah, what we see is that there is opposition to the, the Israelites from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. And there's always a time in our lives where we experience that kind of opposition that we feel that we are taking it from all sides. And then we've got to start to put it in context. So let's look at the ways that we are attacked. The first one is through criticism. Now, we are, I'm part of the St. Mark's Methodist Church, which is just up the road in Edgemead, and uh, I've been serving there for the last sure, 14 years, and I came in and took over as a full-time uh, employee of the church when they were doing something called the homeless ministry. So they had gathered, you know, perishable goods and clothes and, uh, you know, all these kinds of things to feed and to clothe the poor. Now, those who were homeless used to come on a Tuesday morning to come and receive from the church. But we started to experience incredible opposition from the community. Now, whenever you try to build something in the name of the Lord and you try to stand up against what is out there and you want to stand up for justice, you're going to get some community members getting upset. 
So they came and said, you know, how do you allow people who have addiction problems, who choose to be homeless, and allow them into our cozy little suburb? You know, you're just bringing uh, crime in, you're bringing, you know, these unsavory characters. And so, yeah, we got letters and we got people marching up to our church and saying, you've got to stop this. Uh, this is not healthy for our suburb. And that's, and that's great. Because the moment that we get that, we start to know that we actually are starting to make strides in the name of the Lord. And you might be going, you know, maybe I'd be one of those people in the community that would come and have a word. And that's fine. Everyone uh, needs to, you know, sort of have their voices heard. But at the same time, we need to remain true to the vision. So once that had happened, then we started to get church members that started to come in and say, you know what, you guys are spending money on people with addictions and that choose to be homeless. Why don't we use that money for, for other things? Other things that would, uh, you know, contribute to our comforts in our church. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that we could be doing for our own members. But then again, again, that's, that's not in the, the vision. That's not what God has called us to do. God has called us to look after those on the outskirts, those on the margins, those who have suffered injustice and poverty, not to contribute to the comfort of our own people. But we had to deal with that kind of opposition. And so you get the opposition that comes from the outside, and that you can handle because you sort of, you know how to deal with it. But then you start to also deal with very close kinds of criticism and negativity. I have a friend who about 10 years ago decided to go into the ministry full time. He had studied as a chartered accountant and uh, his parents had obviously put a lot of money into his education. He had done his articles and the Lord had said, that is not what I want for your life. And so eventually him and his wife had sat down and they said, we are ready to go into, um, into the ministry. And as he was doing that, his parents and his family members came and sat him down and they said, do you know how much a minister earns? Do you, are you aware of how you're going to be able to make it through the month on what they give you? Hey, are you sure about this? Because I don't think you can survive. The other thing is you've got all these talents, my boy, and you know, you're going to waste them away in the ministry, looking after a church when you've got so many more talents that you can give to the world. And you might be going, sure, how insensitive were these people? But no, it's, it's that they loved their child, that they wanted the best for their child, and they were worried about their safety and their security in their journey forward. But that's their insecurity being projected onto their son. And so we will experience opposition even from in our own families when we choose to build and to move and to grow in the way of the Lord, because we stand in opposition to the ways of the world. And then we also get our own self-doubts. You know, when we start to build something and things aren't going according to plan and we're getting the opposition and, and we're falling over certain things, we also start to go, am I strong enough to deal with this? Do I really have the talents? Do I really have, um, have the resources to be able to see this through? Maybe I'm just not good enough. And we have all of these negative things, all of these criticisms, all of this opposition to us building for the Lord. And so that's where we start. But then it goes a little bit further. Once you have all of that, 
you also now start to get weary. Now, the, the people in Nehemiah's story, they started to get the criticism and the opposition from the people around them. They also started to get criticism from inside of their ranks. And then they started to get tired. They looked around and they said, but this is all rubble. How on earth do we build walls out of rubble? And they became tired and weary and going, this job is too big and we are too small. And you start to see that it's starting to fizzle out. Now, many times in my life, I have started something and I've experienced opposition and I've got tired and I've hit burnout and I've stopped. And then, you know, then we've got to look at our lives and we've got to go, is that really what God wanted for us? To stop what we were supposed to do. But the nice thing about the book of Nehemiah, and especially chapter 4, is that then we have some, some ways of dealing with it. You know, God never leaves us with no way out. He gives us wonderful material within the scriptures to be able to deal with the negativity and the weariness and the criticism and the opposition. Because if you're in that point, now we can get out of it because of God's incredible wisdom. And so what's the first thing that Nehemiah decides to do? Well, he could easily have gone to approach the enemies of Israel and started to say, hey, you know, we'll fight you back. You know, we've got swords and spears as well, and, and we'll, we'll come and take you guys down. But he chooses not to do that. He also doesn't go to the people and says, hey, sort yourselves out. Get the energy up. But what he decides to do is he decides to take all of this and then lift it up to God. So he prays. He prays to God and he says, you know, to God, he says some things that, that perhaps Jesus wouldn't have said. He says, you know, um, make sure that the insults are turned back on them. He says, you know, do not blot out their sins. Lord, you know, their anger has been upon us and so take it out on them. That's not exactly what Jesus would have done, but the, the idea is right. So you take it up to the Lord. And it's amazing that when you start to go, you know, Lord, this is, this is your plan. This is your ministry. This is your company. This is your life. These are your skills, your abilities, your resources. And I'm going to use them for your good. And so, Lord, just, just walk with me here. Soften my heart. Give me compassion. Give me strength. Give me energy so that I might be able to restore your mission. I think that's the start. We've got to go back to the source of strength. We've got to go back to the source of the vision in order to, to find our way forward again. And so when you are experiencing criticism and opposition, do you initially go straight back to God or do you try and perpetuate that retaliation? Go back at the people who are starting to criticize you. But we go back into prayer. And then what happens is there's that incredible peace that transcends all understanding that starts to fill our lives again. So that's where Nehemiah starts. And once he's done that, then he starts to, then he starts to, uh, where am I now? It would be nice if I remembered. Yeah, gee whiz, guys, hey? Okay. Thank you. And then, then he says these words, and, and this is an important part. He says, remember. Remember that God is great and awesome. Remember. Whenever you go into the scriptures and you hear the word remember, take note. Because it's one of the themes that is so prevalent throughout the whole of scripture. 
constantly go back to the beginning. And I remember that when they were in Babylon, they said, remember. Remember back to when we were slaves in Egypt and God saved us. Remember when we were being chased out of Egypt and, and we crossed the Red Sea. Remember that God saved us. Remember when we were in the wilderness and we didn't think that we were going to eat and manna came from heaven. God saved us. Remember when we get into Canaan. Remember when we lost everything because the Babylonians have, have taken us out. Remember. But now we are back here. We are back here in the holy city. We are rebuilding. Remember how we got here. Faith often only makes sense looking backwards. We've got to remember those times where, where we had become weary, when we had lost hope where we had experienced opposition, and God was with us. And God brought us out of those heavy, stressful times and brought us into a new way of living. And so, how often do you take time to remember, to just sit still, to look backwards, and remember that our God is great and awesome? The Jewish nation has a wonderful way of going back every year to have a Passover meal. And part of the Passover meal, considering that, you know, the, the, them escaping out of Egypt was about 4,000 years ago, they still sit down every year and they say, remember. Remember our people. Remember where we come from. Remember the God who is great and awesome. Remember how he brought us to this place. And so do you create time, a sacred space, to look back and go, I remember when. God was there for us. I remember when we had no strength and God became our strength. I remember that when we thought there was no way forward, God made a way forward. And in that way, we start to renew our energy. We start to renew our strength. We start to become uh, engaged again with the vision of God. Remember. So firstly, Nehemiah prays. He softens his heart and he comes back to the source of the vision and the strength. The second thing is they go back and they remember where they come from and then they start to move forward from that place. The last thing that I want to really bring up is that there's a time where the walls are half built and there are gaps in the wall and now there's a physical threat that is being uh, sort of, you know, the, the opposition are starting to say, we're going to come and attack you. And so Nehemiah says, there are certain gaps in this wall, and so I'm going to call on you to actually go and stand in those gaps. I'm going to call you to go and put your bodies on the line if you believe in the vision. And there are times where we build things where God says, you know, I need you to put everything into it, even if it costs you. I know that there are many times at work where we need to, to say, you know, I believe in my Christian values and I'm going to stand up against you and it might cost me my reputation, it might cost me my credibility, but I'm going to take a stand. Remember that we are always opposed in our places of vulnerability and so we have a choice and God calls us sometimes to go and stand in that gap and say, I will not take a step backwards, but I'm standing up for what I'm building, for what I'm making, for what I'm creating, for what I'm renewing. And so Nehemiah calls upon the families to go and stand in those gaps. And so I can imagine how much terror must have been in the people as they go stand there, busy 
facing off against those who are opposing them. But there is one thing that always brings renewed strength, is that when they look to the left of them, and they see another family standing in another gap, and saying, I find my strength in them being in that gap. And then you look to the right, and you find another family standing in another gap, and you're going, I'm not in this by myself. We're in this together. It gives you hope. It gives you strength. It gives you a new way of looking at the world. It's not easy, but it does mean that we're all in this. We're all in the journey together. And that's why I love communion. Time of communion is so sacred because we all come up. And I can look to my left and I can look to my right and I go, I've worked in ministry with so many of these people. We have established things, we have grown things, and we've, we've not had it easy. We've been insulted, we've had issues, we've lost ministries together. But, but we all got wounds. We all got spiritual wounds, we've all got emotional wounds that, that we will keep. But when we look at each other, we go, well, we're in this together. And then there's a wonderful moment where someone offers us the blood and the body of Christ. Someone who gave everything he had for the vision of the kingdom. And then we look and we go, we all need that. We all need the body and the blood of Christ. The one who gave everything. So that that gives me new hope that I can give more of myself to reestablish the kingdom of God in this world. We're in this together. And that's the beauty of community. When Nehemiah called upon the families, he said, I want you to show that you are a community. I want you to show that we have to build together because there is no other way forward. And so when you walk into this church, do you look at each other and go, these are my fellow workers. These are my fellow builders. And we've all taken scars and we've all taken hits and we've all got bruises. But we will not back down. We will keep on building for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news, for the sake of the kingdom that is coming to earth as it is in heaven. We need to hold on to that. So those are the three ways that we fight back against opposition. We firstly pray more. Secondly, we start to go back to the vision. We start to realize that, that the vision is worth putting our lives at risk for. And not just our physical lives, but very much our, our, you know, who we are. And then we look around and we start to see that we are not just alone in this journey, but we have fellow workers that we are with. The last thing that I want to read is a wonderful speech that was given by Theodore Roosevelt in World War II. And he speaks about how easy it is to stand on the sidelines and to throw criticism. You know, it's so much easier to say, you shouldn't do it that way, do it this way. Or that's never going to work. And there's so many times that I've done that. But then that's given me no kind of joy, no kind of strength. But it's when you actually get your hands dirty, when your blood, sweat, and tears are involved in something that you start to see how you grow and how the church grows and how, you know, sort of the kingdom of, of God grows. And so I want to share with you this um, part of the speech. It's called The Man in the Arena. It says this, It is not the critic that counts, 
not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotion, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at best knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And so my challenge to you is to dare greatly, Maybe God has put something on your heart that you need to build and restore and renew, that you need to take a risk and step up, but you've not wanted to do that because of the opposition that you will face. Well, dare greatly, because God put everything on the line for us. And so will we put something on the line for Him, even though it costs us? So there's your challenge. Start building, start creating, start renewing. No matter what it costs, it's worth it. Let us pray. Dear Lord, when you started your ministry, you said, blessed are those who are persecuted, for, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, so often we avoid persecution, we avoid criticism, we avoid any kind of, um, any kind of negative that is, that is in the world. But Lord, we cannot avoid that if we are building your kingdom. We will inherently get pushback because the world's value stands against ours. But Lord, give us the courage and boldness to be able to step out. The wonderful thing, Lord, is there's people in front of us that are already doing the work. Let us join hands. Let us look to the left and look to the right and see those soldiers of the Lord that are putting so much on the line for him. Lord, thank you that you have given in us a creative spark, that when we actually use it, when we start to build things and make things and grow things, that we feel so connected to you. So Lord, let us, let us be challenged. Tell us in that still small way where you want us to build. We thank you, Lord, for your wisdom we thank you for the story of Nehemiah, and may it live long in our hearts. Amen.